0: the uh the the manger scene and you go i get it you know uh no room at the inn uh family in the stable uh baby in a manger uh god's with us blah 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 yeah i've got that you know been there done that and we just sort of we're, we see it all the time we don't necessarily grasp the import of it or more importantly that little scene is just chock full of, of relevance and meaning for anybody and everybody, but, but each one of us in particular. And what I want to ask you to do with me is just kind of go in our way back machine here in, in Scripture to Luke chapter 2. And I want to look at this story, ask you to look at it with me again. And I want to show you, hopefully, what, what it is trying to say to us today and And I think it's possible that that after you you get this story, uh, this could become a conversation opportunity for you with with you know people uh, that you work with friends, neighbors, because everybody sees these Christmas scenes everywhere, and most people kind of think they're quaint and you know it's neat that that you know people believe in that sort of stuff, but they don't see how the gospel is in this story, the Christmas story, even in the very beginning. So I want to start reading in Luke chapter 2. Uh, read for a few verses, then we'll stop and talk about that, then, then read the rest of it. Uh, and it starts with this familiar story of, of Joseph and Mary, and Mary's pregnant. And it's, it's sort of the story of this beleaguered family, really. It's like this family is really in a tough spot. and uh, And it just looks like an ordinary story of of a family that's struggling, but there's a lot more going on in the story than meets the eye. And so, after you get the narrative about sort of just the facts, then some pretty amazing things start happening that, that reflect on what was going on in that stable. So, if you agree with me, uh, Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, which was the north part of Israel, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And that was in the southern part of Israel. So if you know, Israel is a long, thin country. It was about a 60, 70-mile trip. took three or four days, most likely, at the least, And, you know, Mary is, as we know, shortly after this, while he's in in the town, Mary has her baby. So she's traveling, uh, you know, not by SUV, if if you get it. She's traveling probably by walking or riding on some sort of animal. And it's very uh, uneven terrain. It's dangerous. Uh, Believe it or not, they were were a constant threat. People who traveled out in the country were in constant threat of robbers uh wild animals it was it, you know it was a, quite a harrowing little trip so it says that uh david uh, excuse me joseph went there to register with mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child so oop she's they're, they're not married they're just engaged and she's already pregnant so this is like already sort of a, a shady situation this couple is is uh, not in the best of circumstances. And while they were there, starting at verse 6, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So, you know, as as people have come to understand, uh, everyone's coming back into town for the census. It's, you know, everything's crowded. Uh, But one of the things you you probably might not get about this was this was David's family home, yet, I mean, excuse me, it was Joseph's family home, where his family was from. They're, he had family there. There must have been something weird going on, because none of his family had any room for him. And maybe it had something to do with the fact that his, and, you know, the woman he's engaged to is already pregnant, which was, you know, a disgrace. And, and, and they just uh, ended up in a stable. So, the stigma around the birth of this child is something everybody sort of gets, right? I mean, that's, that's everybody here has heard about that. And it just looks like this hard luck story. But there's lots of hard luck stories, right? I mean, there's lots of people who have uh, situations like this. I mean, we, over the years here at the Vineyard, we've helped tons of uh, women at the shelter who, when we used to... to for 14 years when we fed women at the shelter every week, uh, we would meet women who were, who, were, who were transitioning from the streets to the shelter and from the shelter into their own place, and they didn't have any furniture. They didn't have anything. And, you know, we would find cradles for them. We'd, you know, they'd be pregnant. Uh, just situations just like this, but a lot of times they didn't have any—they uh, didn't have a husband. They didn't have the father of the child. It wasn't part of their lives. Sometimes the father was There were times we met women who were in the shelter and their boyfriend, who was the father of their child, was in the men's shelter a few blocks away. And they were both working to get out and get jobs and stuff. And it was another hard luck story. And we've all heard those hard luck stories. So what makes this one different? Well, here's where the story picks up. It says in verse 8, this is the relevance of this. This is the part that people don't get. This is where the interesting stuff is. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So, uh, you might think when angels uh, a- angels show up, you know, they kind of look like Nick Cage, right? Just so a couple of people saw that movie. All right, I just was trying to insert a little uh, cultural. Thing in there, but nobody got it, I guess. I know Nick Cage is like 80 now, so he, he uh, yeah, they, everyone forgot that movie, sorry. Anyway, it was a great, it was an interesting movie. Nick Cage was an angel, if you didn't get the reference there, okay. Uh, angels show up, they're, they're amazing and glorious and uh, actually kind of scary. And I don't mean because they're like, ah, you know, freaky looking, Halloweenish. just they are Uh, spiritual beings without sin, glorious, and and everybody in Scripture that encounters angels just is overwhelmed by that moment. And so these shepherds are tending their flocks, you know, and we get the picture of this little pastoral scene, you know, the the sweet shepherds are sitting there just kind of talking and singing kumbaya and, uh, you know, watching over the sheep. And then this angel shows up, which is somewhat how it happened, but... There's more to that story. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, which was Bethlehem, which was right nearby, the shepherds are are watching their flocks out in the fields around Bethlehem. And uh, traditionally, all the animals that were used in the temple sacrifices came from the fields around Bethlehem. So these shepherds were the ones who tended the animals that were going to be sacrificed in the temple. Uh, And it says, uh, Today in this town, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with this one angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So let's just unpack this for a second. These shepherds are just minding their own business, working in the fields. An angel shows up and tells them what happened. This hard luck, what we think is a hard luck story, the angel tells them, A savior has been born to you today. And they say, uh, They describe this baby that's born that he's a savior, which. That was one of the titles for Caesar Augustus, who, you know, was mentioned a few verses back. Caesar Augustus was, was given the name by the Roman Senate Savior, or in Greek, Soter. And, it, and it, you know, he was, he was the person who was going to, you know, save everyone, who was going to provide for everyone. Well, the angels are saying, nah, Caesar's not the one. <laughs> this baby is the one. And not only that, this baby is the Christ, which means the anointed one. In other words, this baby, was, as he grows, he's going to have power from God. Because Jews understood anointing meant the Holy Spirit was with you and on you. And, it was, and that you were given this power for a unique responsibility, to play a unique role. And not only that, he had, the, the angels add a third word. He says, this baby is not only a Savior, he's not only Christ, he is the Lord. And they, were used, he, they used a word there that was reserved, and this is a Greek word, but in the, in the Jewish Greek Bible, what's called the Septuagint, God's name, that sacred name that many Jews won't even say, is this word. So the angel is saying, God has shown up in Bethlehem. And these shepherds are Jewish, they know that Bethlehem was where David, King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, was born. It was his hometown. Everyone knew the prophet said that a king from the line of David was going to reign on his throne forever and he's going to, to bring you know, salvation back to our people and free us and rescue us, hence the word Savior. And these... All these ideas are just being thrown at these shepherds. I think, they're, I think their heads are swimming and they're going, hold on, hold on. Now, the one point about this that escapes most people is, is real simple. Shepherds, and, 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 and if you ask the average person about this kind of scene and said, the shepherds are there with their little flock, you know, next to the manger scene. Everyone, most people don't understand Back then, shepherds were lowlives. Shepherds were not these sweet, you know, guys that everybody thought well of. Shepherds were scammers and they were untrustworthy. They were like gypsies, you know, the way some people saw gypsies. They were, they were people who were considered outcasts. They couldn't even testify in a, in a court case because they were considered so unreliable. So this is who... God sent the good news about the coming of his son to first. Just think about that for a second. Of all the people that God could have sent an angel to, to say, hey, good news. A savior, your savior has been born. And not only your savior, but he's anointed with power and he's God. In this baby, the hope of, of, of your people for generations has been realized now. God didn't send that announcement to the best people and the most deserving people. He sent word to the people that everybody else wrote off as outcasts. And actually, they were. They deserved being called outcasts. And if those people had any sense of sort of where they stood with God, they were like most people who were sort of on the margin of society, they would think, you know, God's not for us. Now, we've kind of wrecked our lives. or We've chosen lives that that God doesn't approve of, and so God really doesn't want to have anything to do with us. But here, God sends an angel with this message to these people and says, you matter to me. I've got something for you. Now, I don't think they totally got this. And, you know, a lot of times when people hear the good news that, that God really is interested in them and he cares about them, we just discount it. Just like when someone gives you a compliment. How many of you know one of your first instincts when you get a compliment is to go, oh, thanks, you know, and you just dismiss it. And people are saying it meaningfully to you, right? I mean, th- you've done something kind to them. Or, you know, they see something in you and your character and they want to acknowledge it meaningfully, but we have a hard time accepting it. Do you ever notice that? Anybody here not do that? Raise your hand if you don't not do that. See, we all do it. Because we all have this sense of, ah, you know, if you only knew. (laughs) Thank you, but if you only knew what, you know, a knucklehead I am, you wouldn't be complimenting me. And I think these shepherds had that same sense that we all carry because it's just something everybody carries. And so... After one angel said this to them, God decides to send a second group of angels, even um, like just one angel, a whole bunch of angels, to say the same thing to him. He says, glory to God. All the angels are, are praising God, and they're saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So these angels were reiterating to these shepherds, these social outcasts god delights in showing his favor to undeserving people can you get that can you get your head around that god delights in showing favor to undeserving people you don't have to twist his arm and 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 try to wring it out wring some grace out of god you know Live up to some standard to get God's grace. Now, these shepherds, I think, I think they still can't get their head around it. And so, God, this is how 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 understanding God is of where we're at. Is God tells them, listen, I want to give you a sign that this is really true. What sign does he choose? Someone tell me, it's pretty obvious, right? What's the sign? So you gotta say a little louder. No, <laughs> eh. <laughs> wrong text. <laughs> What's the sign the angel tells the shepherds? Go, what? A baby. a baby in a manger, right? Now that isn't something you see every day, <laughs> to be sure. So they go, baby in a manger. Okay, cool. They when when the angels leave. It says they immediately go, let's go see this. Let's go check this out. Now, and Matt, put yourself in the shepherd's situation. Which stable do you search? They didn't tell you which stable. Yeah, go to Sam's stable or the 3W stable, right? What'd they say? They're just going to find a baby in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough for animals. So they know we got to go to a stable. So where do they start? Not a trick question. They just start looking, right? They just start going from house to house. Back then, houses would oftentimes have a stable attached to it. So it wasn't like the stables were only on the edge of town like in Columbus. You know, if you go into the campus area where we lived for a long time, you won't find a stable there. Uh, you know, the, the, the land has long ago been turned to apartments and condos and houses. But you come out here, and you'll find people with some property, and they have horses, and they have, you know, there's people that have sheep around here now. They just had to go from house to house. Now, think about this. Put yourself in their position. I mean, they had to really be determined to find this baby. Bethlehem was not a small town. And this happened at night. Now, You're knocking on doors at night, right? Hello? (laughs) We're looking for a baby in a... Horse trough, horse feeding trough. People are going, get out of here, you know. And, I mean, they had to be determined to find this. But now, they finally find, they walk up, and, and they hear, they come into the stable, and they hear a baby crying. They go in, and they look in the manger, and there's a baby. This is what it says. It says, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what they'd been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So, why did God give the shepherds this particular sign? Because this is a sign for them. This wasn't an Old Testament sign. This was a sign to these shepherds. This was God trying to get a message across to these particular people who felt very undeserving and, and for good reason, that God was really interested in him and that he, del- he, was, he delighted in showing people like them his favor. And what the angels said is when God's favor rests on you, you experience peace. Which to Jewish people meant wholeness. It meant flourishing in every dimension of your life. That your life would begin to turn around because of God's peace that was available to you. That he delighted in showing. They walked into that stable. And I don't think they got it. This is just. It's an argument from silence. But I don't think they got. What this was all about. Until they walked in. And they looked at a baby. Who they knew. Was like no baby had ever lived before. Lying in a manger. A stable was their world. Their funky. Messed up. Smelly. Twisted world that they lived in. And God was coming into their world. All the gods of all the nations around them, they'd they'd make wooden idols and stone idols and and they would make uh, images and they would worship them. And those images were not alive. And a lot of the images were, were carved with erotic things. It was twisted, erotic spirituality. I mean, if you... You know, I've, I've done a lot of research in my life. You go to research theological backgrounds, and the theological manuals that I've gone to and the libraries I've been, they don't have pictures of them. Sometimes they'll reference them and say, we don't put the pictures of these in here because it's like porn. And they worship these idols that, were, that ask you for terrible sacrifices and, and produce these, this twisted kind of worship and, and more twisted character. And the God that their father's worship said, you can't make idols of me. Don't make any image of me. Because it will, it will what's, what would it do? It, 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 whatever you worship, you become. And God said, you can't make anything that looks like me. Because there's nothing that looks like me. And you will become like what you worship. And so I don't want you to become twisted and degenerated. Because the image that you have of me is not who I am. I'm greater than any image that you could ever conceive of. But here he is. They knew this was the Lord. The Greek word for their one true God. And here he was in this manger. Coming into their world. Identifying with them. The, the picture of it had to be breathtaking to them as they sat and pondered it. And what they knew, because of what, what Jews understand is, God has made himself real to them, and he's made a covenant with them. And they were waiting for what they hoped would be a new covenant. Because the, the old covenant, they utterly failed to keep their part of it over and over and over and over and so, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the, the last, some of the last prophets that spoke in the Old Testament, they said, God's going to do something new. Because you guys, this old covenant was good, but you couldn't even keep that. So God's going to do something that will change everything. And this baby was the sign that that covenant was coming into being. It was about to come into force. Now, the shepherds rejoiced, and in the, in the gospel of Luke, wherever people rejoice, almost every time people rejoice there, it's because they repented. And if, if this, for these people to appropriate what God was offering them, they had to repent. They had to turn and say, God, we haven't really been following you. We haven't really been the kind of people you want us to be. And we thank you for this sign that tells us that you still want us, that we still matter to you, and that you want us to be your people. And so we just turn towards you, God. Now, I don't think those guys went out immediately and every part of their lives just pivoted and changed, because that's not how anybody changes. But they started a new journey in their life, because repentance always brings joy. Repentance always brings joy. It's something that's, that, that starts painfully, but ends happily. And everyone they told about this story that God, the God of their fathers who made them, who delivered them from Egypt and done all the miracles and made them a unique people and been with them through, their, through all their history, was now coming in to the world in this child and was going to do something among them. I don't think they, they understood what was going on, but they knew it was, it was pretty amazing. And so they started telling everybody, if you feel like you're washed out and God's far from you, He's not. We just saw a baby in a manger that angels had told us was God among us coming to be our Savior, and He was going to be anointed with power, and He was God in the flesh. He's here. And everyone was amazed that heard this story. Because shepherds were not the kind of people you would hear that story from. So their stories, what their story means to us today is, at any given moment, our, all, uh, our lives are a hot mess, right? And they're, they're a hot mess because of we've chosen to live life on our own terms. And life just doesn't work that way. When we live life on our our own terms, the gears grind and break and everything just doesn't work. And other people live in the same way. That's why the gears are grinding and nothing's working. And there's friction and heat and frustration and pain and trouble. And God says, if you go that way, you know, you're on your own. And we get into this mess, and God says, I'm willing to come into that mess. I'm not going to stay far off from you. I'm willing to come into that mess and begin to rescue you from the mess you've made. But it will be a journey that you go on with me of just following me. And so I think we're like the shepherds that we think some God can't be that interested in me because I've just disqualified myself over and over and over. And we have to look at this picture of the manger and see God in a child in an animal feeding trough and realize that God was saying that to people who that was their world, that was their messed up world, their dirty world, their world that people didn't like to look at. Into your world, the stable of your life, that's what the manger story is saying. God wants to come into the mess that you've made Or sometimes the mess in your life that someone else has made because we can really be just profoundly impacted by other people. Other people can make decisions that can turn our lives upside down. And then we're just like a leaf in a storm. But whether you're the architect of your own misery or someone else has turned your world upside down or a combination of both, God in, in, in this story is saying i want to come into that mess i want to come into it and i'm willing to come into it and i'm willing to take the mess on in a way that you can't and so this this little story has again has a simple point god delights in showing favor to undeserving people and you may not like to say it to other people you you might not often say I'm undeserving, but you know you feel it in your heart. And God says that is not going to stop me from helping you if you will let me help you if you let me be real to you. If you'll let me be the center of your life, I'll turn that around. Now, here's how we're going to That's an idea that oftentimes isn't it isn't easy to to say how does that work in my life? Well, we're going to close with communion today. And let me explain how, how this kind of dovetails in as we close. The Lord's Supper of Communion started as, and still is, a covenant meal. So in Jesus' day and earlier, when people wanted to join their lives together and commit their lives to one another in, in deep and profound ways, they would make a covenant and then they would have a meal to celebrate it. And the meal had this significance of saying uh, our lives, you know, what I have is yours and what you have is mine. And, uh, and when people ate after agreeing to a covenant like this, their lives were, were bound together. And so Jesus, he said that this meal is a picture of what he did for us, that he took the mess we've made of our lives and he bore it and overcame it and now sits at God's right hand and rules and reigns from that place and he rules and reigns over what is messed up in our lives. And the things that we can't tame, he can tame. Where we aren't loved, he offers love. Where we're confused, he offers wisdom and guidance. Where we're alone, he offers his presence. Where where we're angry and resentful, he offers us grace to forgive. He's forgiven the unforgivable in us and others. And he is willing to live in us and help us to forgive the unforgivable. Because many of you know, if you don't forgive, all it does is, you're drinking poison and think it's going to kill that other person. It won't. If you withhold forgiveness, you only punish yourself. There's a lot more we could say about the particulars of that, but Jesus showed us that forgiveness will, unforgiveness will destroy your life. And he died on the cross to, to show that we don't have to live the way we live now. And he rose again to show us that there's hope, that think things could be different. And so... The bread and the wine represent his broken body and his shed blood. And it represents a covenant that he wants to make with us. And so it is a statement and it's an invitation. And what we're doing when we take this is we are coming to Jesus and we're saying, I admit I'm undeserving of your favor. When we come up to this table, we're saying that. We're saying, I don't deserve your favor that you give so freely. That has all these benefits. But. I admit. I need it. And then I'm. When I come to the table. I'm saying I accept it. I accept your gracious help. Into my life. As a gift. That I can't ever earn. Or ever deserve. That's freely given. So we admit. Where we're. Need. And We accept the grace that's pictured here. Because Jesus said, as long as you do this, you proclaim my death until I come back. And so when we take these elements, he says, I will be present here in this moment with you. My grace will come into your life. And you're saying you're being a part, like the vineyard, we're a community of recovering shepherds. We're a community of recovering rascals, and as they used to say in the old days, Montebanks, right? I' pull out a word there from uh, Shakespeare. We are scoundrels. We're scammers. We're untrustworthy. And you may be offended at that. If you are, that's your pride speaking that shows you you really need to get to this table. If you go, well, I'm not like as bad as them, you know, there's a parable about that kind of attitude. The guy who said, oh, God, I thank you, I'm not as bad as that guy. That's the kind of thing that is wrecking our lives. And when we come to this, grace begins to work on that pride. That pride is so deep in all of us, it's in you. That pride has undermined many of your relationships, it's hurt you, it's hurt other people. And the only place that that pride can get dealt with as at the cross, and this is a symbol of the cross. So that baby in a manger ended up one day beaten and naked on a Roman cross, being crucified. There wasn't any room for him in people's hearts and lives in the, when he came into the world, and there wasn't any room. He was rejected again at the end of his life, but he was in the plan of God the gift of God, so that we could be accepted by God, so that we could be forgiven, so that our lives could could experience a new life in Him. So I want to encourage you today as you come to take these elements. We're going to have uh, Shanna. Are you still here? Can you remember Shanna is out there somewhere. Find her. Thanks, Rick. Uh, we're going to have a couple of people, up, a couple of teams up here up front. And when you come down the aisle, they're going to offer the bread to you and the wine. And when they offer the bread, they're going to say, "This is." the body of Christ that was broken for you. They're going to hold a cup of wine out. Someone will stand next to him and you dip the the bread in the wine. And they're going to say, this is the, the new covenant. This is the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. So when you come forward today, God's inviting you just to do three things. He's inviting you to admit you don't deserve his favor. Admit it to him. Admit it to yourself. You're coming forward not just to admit, you're coming forward to accept his favor through Jesus, through these elements that represent Jesus, you're saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, that God's favor is going to come on my life today in a fresh way, in a new way, in a deeper way. And you might come forward and think of particular ways where you know your character is, is deficient and is, and is costing you. And you just acknowledge that. And then you're saying, I'm taking this, these elements with a group of people and we're all going to be... We're going to own the, the designation that we're recovering shepherds. We're not perfect, but we're on this journey of following Jesus. where on a, on a daily and weekly basis. We're going to experience his grace and we're going to show peace on earth through our lives, through our lives being slowly transformed as we follow him. And, and you can walk this out. And then we're going to have folks on either side here, over to this side and to the the right and the left, my right and my left, uh, who, if you want prayer for something, uh, there's grace for prayer, for healing, and, and you name it. Just sheer blessing. Just sheer blessing. God just wants to bless your life. Uh, and if you just want to pray because you have a need of someone in your family or whatever, just come up here and we'll agree with you. We'll pray with you for those people and trust that God's going to work in their lives. Because a lot of us are here, and we are walking testimonies of God's grace and, and Him bringing you through all kinds of crazy things. So, why don't you stand up with me? Uh, I don't know, maybe we won't have some music. Uh, yep, something. Oh, uh, Shannon? Oh, here's Shannon. Sorry, I didn't see you, Shanna. Just, just something instrumental. And if the, if the folks who are going to hand out the elements, if you could come up now and grab them, and we'll, we'll pray as you're coming up here. Father, we just uh, thank you uh, for this story. Thank you or the good news that we see in this story, the good news, your good news for us. We see ourselves as those shepherds. We're modern-day shepherds, and Jesus, as a baby, is laying in a feeding trough. You, you come into our world, and Lord, we want to welcome you today. We ask for your spirit and your presence to be here right now. We ask that the power of your name would break the power of evil and, and things in our hearts, Lord, that we are, we're so weak we can't overcome. But we know you've already faced those temptations and overcome them. And Give us new hearts today, Lord, and, and give us clean hearts and clean minds. Wash us. Strengthen us. Lord, where we feel alone, uh, fill us with your presence. We're, uh, we're not generous right now even in this season where we celebrate your generosity, Lord, we're not generous. Would you fill us with your generosity, your heart of forgiveness and kindness and every good thing. Jesus, you are our Savior. You're the Christ and you're the Lord. Thank you for reminding of that, of this powerful truth today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring that home to each of us today as we take these elements. And as we take them, Lord, we admit we don't deserve your favor, but we come to this table to receive it and to become part of a community, a company of people who together as one people represent you and whom you dwell, Lord, and that your love just keeps being poured out on us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So once you come down, uh, the prayer team people could come over to either side. Hey, can you guys mm-hmm. give a